This is a free download from Delancey Healing Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Healing Church building at the Banks and Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyhealing.co.uk. Uh, as you know, we've been looking at the, the Father Heart of God. Uh, we're going to carry on doing that. I'm going to ask Maria to share a little testimony there. Connected with, connected with a mirror. Is that right, Maria? I found it. Aren't you glad about that? I'm glad about that. How about you? <laughs> and you found it, yes, actually. Um, I'm sure most of you do know my story. Scary. But um, I hope you don't mind if I just have a little prayer before I start. Lord, I just thank you for your love. I just thank you that you are there for us. And I just thank you, Jesus, that because of you, because you died on the cross for us, that we can have a relationship with Father, with God the Father. And I just thank you that that's how you want us to be, because of your Son. And I just pray as I stand here, as I I talk, that you will use my words, that it will bring healing to people's lives, it will touch people, and to help people to understand that you are a God of love, you are a God who just wants to reach out. You're not angry, but you are just wanting to love us so much. And I just pray that you will touch us all today. Amen. Amen. Right, um, I have got something to read later, but um, just as a brief intro, I came to know the Lord when I was 10 years old. Um, The Lord saved me um, in the UK, and it was the best thing that ever happened in my life. We came over to Guernsey, and when I was 13, um, my dad went to prison. Uh, It was quite a horrendous night. I remember the police knocking on the door, Um, And my dad just went. He was gone. And uh, it was quite traumatic, but I was going to our dad at the time. And I knew that God had everything in control. Um, During that time, my elder sister ran away. And you can't really run very far in Guernsey. (laughs) So when she came back, she said to me, uh, well, I said to her, look, dad's sick. We've just got to look after him. He's in prison, but he'll be out soon. We've just got to show him God's love and she said to me why should we why should you love him he's not your real dad so I faced that at the age of 13 and for youngsters at that age the most important person in their lives at that time is their father and I realized that my dad wasn't my real dad and I remember we were living in Trinity Square and I was looking up into the garden and I I said to the Lord Lord who am I where do I come from who do I belong to? Where have I come from? And at 13, it was, I, I just remember looking up into the garden and saying that. But um, years went by, and at 17, I went to Bible college. And when I was at Bible college, in that first year, God taught me about his father heart, how he loves me as a father. And at the time, Chris Bowater, I don't know if you've heard of him, But he came to the college and there was a two-day lockdown. We had no professors, no teaching. We just had two days of pure worship and coming before the throne. And Chris Bowater actually prayed with me and spent a bit of time with me. And it it just filled my heart, just filled my heart continuously about the Father heart of God. And it was just absolutely amazing. And I just need to look at my notes. One verse he did give me for that time was 2 Corinthians 6, verse 18. I will be a father to you, 
and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. In my late 20s, I still was hankering after who, who, where I came from. Uh, it was like there was a, a puzzle in your life, and there was an empty piece missing. And I'm, it was still getting to me. I thought, I need to know who my real dad was. And I tried to find him. No help. The Salvation Army couldn't help me. But then, all of a sudden, at the age of 36, it was beginning of September, and it was just pressed on my heart. I've got to do it. And within three weeks, I went to London. I looked at the birth, death and marriage certificates. I found a marriage certificate for the Preston area, because I had his name and everything. And I came home. I looked at the telephone directory. Nothing. He was ex-directory. And then somebody at work said, have you tried the electoral roll? I thought, no, I haven't. So I emailed them. Within two days, I had an address. And I wrote a letter on the Monday. I was off sick on the Tuesday because I had a bad back. But at five o'clock that evening, I had a phone call. And there was this man's voice on the end. And he said, I think I may be your dad. And I was just ecstatic. It was, it was an amazing feeling. And we texted quite a lot. There was a big click. And... It was just it was just brilliant. Um, he had a younger girlfriend at the time, he's now his wife, and she wasn't too keen on the situation, but we um I went to see him. He had a photo of me, but I didn't have a clue what he looked like. And I was on the train on the way to Preston and he'd sent me a text to say, I'll be standing under the letter I. So I don't know if any of you have been to Preston train station, but as you get off the, the train, there's eyes all over the place. Information spots. Oh. And I thought, oh, I couldn't see him. Um, I thought, I don't know what he looks like. He knows what I look like. So surely he won't let me leave the train station. So I got off the train, and there was a big building in front of me. It was just a shop. And I thought, I'll go towards the exit. So I got off, walked around the corner, and as I turned the corner, I saw this man standing there, and I thought, that's him. And I went straight up to him, gave him a hug, and he said, I hope you don't hug everybody you meet. And it was my dad. It was my dad. And we had a brilliant time. Um, all weekend, we just held hands, we walked, we talked. It was brilliant. Um, his girlfriend, as I said, wasn't too happy, so we had to do a DNA test. And that came back 99.99999% sure, so he was my dad. Um, then there came a point, I think he was given an ultimatum, he had to choose. I had to choose between his girlfriend or me. And he phoned me up about a week before going to Hillsongs on a ladies' conference. And he just said, Maria, I'm really, really sorry but I've had to choose, and I choose my girlfriend. And I thought, okay, that's all right. I was, I was upset, but I thought, no, God's in control. I, I've just felt covered by God's hands. And Angie was, I think, the leader on this lady's Hillsong. And we, when we went, as we walked in, we were given a red rose, which was lovely. Debbie was there as well. We were given a chocolate, and then as we sat down, um, they passed baskets along the seats, and there were little presents, and I'm going to have to get my glasses out. But inside this box, for me, was a mirror, a 
and it was this hand mirror. And I've had it ever since. As you open it up, it says inside, beautiful daughter. And I knew, yeah, we have earthly fathers, but the father is him. And he just overwhelmingly touched me. And he wants us to know him as his father. And it's because of Jesus that we can, we can see that. Um, just as I finish, um, some of you might know this, but there is a father's love letter. Um, you can see it on, on the internet. And it's a really lovely film as you can watch it. But I'm just going to read out um, the sentences. I won't read out every single verse because for every sentence that I say, it's actually connected into a verse. But this is what the Lord would like to say to you. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being, for you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you should live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you, simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand. For I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts towards you are countless as the sand on the seashore and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul, and I want to show you great and marvellous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me, and I will give you the desires of your heart. For it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine. For I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in your troubles. For when you are broken, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your Father, and I love you, even as I love my Son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you. 
and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I may gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you will receive me. And nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I am waiting for you. Love, your dad. Uh, John chapter 14, so we're talking about the father heart of God. I want to talk this morning, uh, I did touch on it a little bit, I think, last time, uh, about an orphan heart, having an orphan heart. As Maria said, that sometimes you could have the greatest, you could have the, the worst father, but you could also have the greatest father in the world. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you won't have a, an orphan heart. It's really dependent on how much you have understood Father's revelation to your heart. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about where you have a revelation in your own heart of the Heavenly Father. It's what Jesus said in John 14, verse 8. Sorry, verse 18. Important words you'll find from John chapter 14, John 17, very much emphasis on, on the Father and on how much the Father loves, how much the Father cares, and so much emphasis on the relationship of Father, and you find that through those three chapters. In verse 8, Jesus speaks obviously to his disciples, and he says these words, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he's saying basically, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you without having a sense of of having a father's influence, a spiritual father's influence in your life. It's trying to help them, really, with, with, a, with a mindset. The mindset of, of having an orphan heart. Really, an orphan heart is something at the core of our being that we lack a sense of, of having a father, a spiritual father. It really, it's a lack of father. It's, it's a fatherlessness spirit. I think our whole world has been affected and overwhelmed by an orphan spirit, an orphan heart. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to live with that at the core of your heart, a sense of not having a father, a fatherlessness, a orphan heart, a orphan spirit. That's why the the Bible defines us, or it defines the work of the Spirit, as bringing a spirit of adoption. The way we, we, we loose ourselves from an orphan spirit is to receive the spirit of adoption that breaks it at the core of our heart so that we, we have a, a revelation of the Father heart of God for us. As I've said often, it's not something you know in your heads, something you know in your heart. I actually remember at Bible college, actually, again, we knew a lot of, we would talk very much about the, the various, I suppose, the attributes of God and the attributes of, of God's holiness and all these other things of God's love. But I knew in my head, but I don't think I ever really experienced in my heart so many years after that where I had a real encounter with, with the Father heart of God and 
I felt almost liquid love being poured into my heart. I remember that as a, a, a defining experience. Where for myself, it went beyond what was in my head. It was able to touch my heart. And able to experience the Father heart of God. And really, Jesus came to introduce us to the Father. He, he, he really came to reveal the Father. During the Bible, there's over 300 names for God in the Bible. Isn't that awesome? But the one name that Jesus came to reveal was he came to reveal the name Father. It's hinted at at the Old Testament. But Jesus brought the in-depth revelation of the Father's heart to us. Only he could fully manifest who the Father was. He said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. This is exactly what the Father is like. He said, I've come to reveal the Father's name to you. That's one of his prime works, was to reveal the Father heart of God. How did he teach us to pray? In the Old Testament, there are many amazing prayers. Many of them declare the, the sovereignty and the greatness and the awesomeness of God. But Jesus says, this is how you are to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven. In other words, he's your Father. He's my Father, but also is your Father. And this is how you need to pray. Our Father in heaven. That's the basis. That, that's where things really happen in our lives. And I think once we deal with an orphan heart, it deals with 100, 100 of problems that often come as a result of, of really, really not knowing and experiencing and embracing the Father's heart. Many of our problems are a result of that. That we've never really fully perceived the Father heart of God. And because of that, there are many problems, many issues in our life remain because we've ne never really grasped the real truth and the real reality of that. I want to look at maybe some of the symptoms. What, what are the symptoms of an orphan heart? Let me give you some of the symptoms that actually help us to identify because it seems such a, a wide thing, but how do we identify if maybe that's something that we've never fully resolved in our life. How do we resolve it? How do we recognise the symptoms of an orphan heart, an orphan spirit? Here's the first one. Insecurity. I would think today that we probably are living in the most insecure sense of the world I think we've ever lived. People feel incredibly insecure. All that's going on around them, the chaos and the conflicts in our world, almost they, they manifest that sense is so many people's hearts that we feel very insecure about where we are in life. Often insecurity comes from a belief that those people around us are either going to fail us or reject us. We don't really believe... Am I, am I on? Yes, I'm on now. I kind of like the other one. It was blue collar. That was good. So it's celebrating Chelsea's victory today, aren't we, Laurie? But I think, often, I think deep in our hearts there's a sense that nobody is really going to be faithful to us. We feel everybody's going to fail us and we think everybody's going to reject us. And because of that, it, it, it causes at the core of our heart a sense of, 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 of this rejection, this, this sense that, that, that we, we, we aren't secure 
We're not secure with people. We're not secure in relationships. We're not secure even with our Father in heaven. Because if people have failed us, then we often project that onto God and believe at some point he will also fail us. And so it creates a real sense of, of, of insecurity. We don't feel secure about anything in life. And I think the true reality of an orphan spirit is a real sense of insecurity. Now, because we lack that insecurity, we make up for it by trying to earn approval. We do, we do all kinds of things because we want to earn people's approval. And the more approval we feel we find off people, the more secure we will be. And so we often spend much of our life trying to get people to accept us. We do anything to get people's praise. Anything to get people's approval because deep in our hearts we feel such a sense of rejection, such a sense of insecurity, we work extra hard to get their approval. Part of feeling insecure means that whatever you do, you never feel it's good enough. One thing we've kind of looked at throughout, I suppose, the Father heart is this, this real sense, and I think all of us have probably battled with it so many times in our lives, is what we term as performance-based Christianity. We are performing to try to earn God's approval. We work to earn people's approval. And so much of what we do is a performance out of our insecurity. We perform to gain approval in some form of another. That's why I suppose really church should be about us approving of people. Is that right? You'll be amazed of just how that you can make someone feel secure just by smiling at them and put an arm around them maybe at times. And that's what it's really all about, to, to bring that sense of, of security to people's hearts. Here's what happens when we live with this insecurity. Every time we meet someone, maybe for the first time, for example, we never feel they're going to accept us. We feel immediately that person is not going to like us. And then we realize that when you feel that way, it kind of gives off a vibe. People sense it. They may not be able to put their finger on it, but they sense that's the way you are. And out of your own insecurity, instead of drawing people to you, you tend to push people away. Not by anything you say particularly, but by the atmosphere or by the vibe that you give off. You are going to reject me. You are not going to accept me. And that's the kind of vibe we kind of pull over people because of our own sense of insecurity. I think it was on Wednesday morning... And I know years and years ago, I'd have felt so inferior by doing what I did on Wednesday. I'd have hated it. But because of the work God's done in my heart, I weren't that bothered about it. And that was, I had to speak at the ministers, uh, the, uh, the, not ministers, the states kind of breakfast they have. I remember years ago, I'd have felt very, very intimidated by that. Very, very intimidated by it. But it's wonderful when God does a work in your heart, you don't feel intimidated by often those kind of situations, circumstances. Because you feel secure in your own heart. Can you say amen? And, and, and one of the symptoms, if you like, of an orphan heart is a real sense of insecurity. And what happens that when we feel that way, 
we then look to blame others for it. As Maria said, often we can blame our earthly fathers. We can blame circumstances. We can blame people. And instead of dealing with the issue, we live a blame game. Always looking for someone to blame for the way that we feel. And here's what I found. Unless you deal with an orphan heart, an orphan heart will deal with you. You'll never know true security until you come to a point and you get a revelation of the Father's heart. Can you say amen? Here's the next thing. I think an orphan heart will often create fear of commitment. You don't trust enough to commit yourself because you feel insecure. It also, the third thing about an orphan heart is that people want instant gratification. We look for a quick fix-it. Lack of patience. And we don't have long-term thinking. We struggle to build relationships with God or any relationship because most relationships take a long-term commitment. God is, as dare I say, God is not Mac God. I was so disappointed on, on Friday when that McDonald's was closed. Very, very disappointed. God was dealing with me, I think. <laughs> but the point is, God is not a Mac God. You know, you don't make your request and it comes three minutes later. Relationship with God means that you've got to build it. There's no such thing as microwave Christianity. It, t- it takes time to build relationship with God. It takes time to build relationships with people. It takes time to, to influence and infect people and win them for Jesus. How many realize that? And so in order to do that, we need to have a, a long-term heart. An orphan, spirit, an orphan heart is looking for immediate, quick-fix answers. Next thing about an orphan heart, it looks for false comforts. You know, I found this many addictions are the result of an orphan heart, an orphan spirit. You talk to many who have struggled with various addictions. Much of their issues are the result of what they feel in their own hearts about themselves. And they're looking for something to take away their pain. They're looking for something to, to dumb, to, to almost to take the pain from their hearts. They want to numb it. They want to some way remove that pain. And so we look for a false comfort to take away the pain that we feel in our own hearts. It doesn't necessarily mean for everyone that will be substance abuse. It could be all kinds of things. It could be, it could be McDonald's, I don't know, but food or... Uh, could be something, television, all kinds of things that we use to help us not to think about it, to, 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 to numb the pain, to remove the pain. And so we look for a false comfort. Orphan hearts also are driven by pride. To an orphan heart, image is the all-important thing. They never want to look vulnerable. And there's a problem with that. It keeps us from repentance, which will keep us from healing. Because we can't get healed unless we learn to recognize our failure and to open our heart to a failure so that we can be forgiven, restored and healed. Amen? But often, an orphan heart will be so proud, it doesn't want to cease vulnerability, it doesn't want to feel vulnerable in area or any weak in area, so it closes its heart to the one thing that is going to heal the heart. And that often comes by repentance. It's concerned about what people think. 
Never want to admit they have a need, which means we never get to the point where we really truly learn true dependence on God. The other thing about an orphan heart is that it creates anger in the heart. Someone said this, the guy that screams the loudest often is usually the scariest. Often, you know, bullies, you know why bullies pick on people? Because they want to divert the attention from themselves and make it and project on someone else. So if they can divert the attention on them and everybody picks on somebody else, that helps them. But deep inside, they're often more nervous about themselves than often the people they are bullying. How many realize that? And I think unresolved anger is often a result of fear, deep-rooted fear in the heart. That's why you need to receive the Father's love because the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. So as the Father fills my heart with love, then the fears that, that, that cause the unresolved anger are driven out. Can you say amen? An orphan heart will attempt a lot of things but never really complete them. They, all, they use all kinds of achievements to prop up their image. They think that the more they achieve and the more you recognize their achievement, then it helps them to, to feel better about themselves and deals with, with kind of low self-esteem. An orphan heart often is filled with shame and guilt. It's interesting that when God comes to Adam, he says, Adam, where are you? How many realize God knew where they were? He wasn't saying, by the way, Adam, where are you? I can't find you anywhere. You'll find this, when God asks you a question, he already knows the answer, amen? He knew where Adam was, but he wanted Adam to realize where he was. He'd ran from God and was full of guilt, full of shame, and so he hid himself. And often in life, we can be like that. We, we, we pull ourselves, instead of running to God, we run from him. And we allow the guilt and the shame and the condemnation to grip our hearts, and that then results in an orphan heart, an orphan spirit. Far, distant, removed from Father. Because of the guilt and the shame that we've never fully dealt with and resolved in our hearts. Now when we look at these things, I think the important thing is, we can carry these kind of stuff in our life, all our life. We can be plagued by it. And it affects all kinds of things in us. It affects our walk with God. affects our relationship with people can affect us in our families. So many things have been affected and damaged because we've never resolved the issue in orphan heart and orphan spirit. So how do you deal? How do you come to a place of coming into, into a true heart revelation and embrace the Father heart of God? Now, I'm not saying you have all those symptoms, but if you've got some of those symptoms and you recognize this is a result if I don't, really, I don't really feel about a full revelation of the Father heart of God, then how do you get that? Here's a few things. Here's the first thing, and I like this one. Cultivate insight into the Father's heart. So the most important thing we can do is have a proper perception of who God is. An orphan heart or an orphan spirit is a result, really, of a faulty conception of who God really is. We can often see God as someone who's distant, someone who's harsh, someone who's far away, someone who's stiff, someone who is constantly judgmental on us. Often some people project 
their faulty image of their own earthly fathers onto God. I don't think there's one person in this room, except for Lydia, though she's not here, who's got a perfect father. No, I'm only joking. Uh, but there is not, there's no such thing as a perfect father. Every one of us. You may have had an amazing father, but he still had, one, he still had weaknesses, he still had vulnerabilities. And the danger is that we take what is, what is true of our earthly fathers and we project it onto our heavenly father. And it distorts the image we have of God. So you're never going to know God more than what you perceive in God. What you see in the heart of God will affect and change who you are. For example, let me say what I mean. The Bible says, why do we love God? Because he first loved us. Is that right? So in order for me to love God, I need to first of all see God's love for me. I need to understand that. I need to comprehend that. That God loves me, and because of how much he loves me, out of response to that, I love him. I'll never be more passionate for God than what I see of God's passion for me. How can I love him with a passion unless I first of all understand that he loves me with a passion? Let me give you one verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we... All with unveiled face. Behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. Are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, what I behold in God, I become myself. If I behold His, if I behold His passionate love for me, I become a passionate lover of God because of what I see in Him. If I behold in God His burning heart for me, it awakens a flame inside my heart. Because I need to to behold the things of God. Why? Because the enemy sows lies into people's hearts. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. Is that right? So he lies to us about who God is. He lies to us about the nature of God. He lies to us about the fact of how much God loves you. And as you begin to believe the father of lies, it distorts your own perception of God. And the more we behold who God is, it begins to break away the lies that the father of lies has sown in our hearts and our minds. Can you say amen? I behold his glory. I behold his presence. And as I behold his glory, as I behold his presence, he does a transforming work in my heart, so I become more like the one I'm beholding. Can you say amen? Isn't it true to say that they often say, you look like your father's son? Amen. How many have felt that? How many have heard you say, people say that to you? Sometimes you don't always feel that. Uh, you know, that's always an, uh, someone's, you're not quite sure if that's not an insult or not sometimes. But the truth is, the more we behold God, the more like our Father we become. How many want to be more like God, more like the Father God? So behold Him. Gaze upon His glory. Gaze upon His presence. And the more that you do that, it will bring about a transforming work in you. Can you say amen? So what I'm talking about this morning, really, 
is that you are beginning to, to get a hold of the emotions of God's heart. I think that's one thing we, we don't really hear much about, but you're, you're, you're grasping the emotions of God's heart to you. How much he's in love with you. How much he's passionate about you. The fire he has in his heart toward you. The joy he has toward you. And that kind of revelation of, of that kind of heart of God towards you does an incredible work of inner transformation. That's why I love, how many love to gaze upon the cross? Because it engages your heart in how much God loves, values and sees your worth. It engages your heart that transforms you and breaks all the destructive lies of the enemy that try to affect us and damage our own perception of God and of who we are. Can you see amen? Here's the next thing, very quickly. The assurance like this one, that we are being enjoyed by God, even in our weakness. God doesn't tolerate you. God enjoys you. Can you say amen? You think about this. We often think that unless we're 100% perfect, God will never enjoy us. Harry would say that even, even though your children don't always do any, everything you approve of, that you still enjoy them, is that right? Remember the, the terrible threes, I only remember that. And even though you, they may have not done every single thing you approved of, you still love them with all your heart. You still, you still valued them. You still love to be with them. You still enjoyed them. And that's the same with God. He's, he may not approve of everything you do, but he still loves you. Even in my immaturity, God still enjoys me. Isn't that awesome? You know, well, the more I, more I kind of think about that, how awesome that is. There are times when God will correct us because he loves us. There will be time he disciplines us because he loves us. But that does not mean in any sense of the day that he doesn't mean that he rejects us. In our failure, we don't run from him. We run to him. I'm loved by my Father, and I'm a lover of the Father. Amen? That's who I am. And I found this. When you really get an understanding that you're enjoyed by God, it causes like a buoyancy to raise up in your spirit. See, when you don't feel you're cherished by someone, when you don't feel you're loved by someone, don't feel you're enjoyed by someone, and someone just tolerates you, Cause you to back off. Is that right? If you think someone's just putting up with you, you hands go up. But when you know that person loves to be with you, he enjoys your company, then something in you is drawn and attracted to that. And if you've never really perceived that God enjoys you, even in your weakness, you'll always fall back. You'll always draw back from God rather than running to him. When you fail, you're going to run from him rather than run to him because you feel he's going to judge you and, 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 and not really draw you. But the Father says, I really enjoy being with you. Amen. Here's the next thing. Enjoy and love yourself with God's love. See, the more I realize that, the more confidence it gives me when I come before God. I was thinking this the other day. 
we had the most horrendous headmaster at school that you can ever imagine. I always remember this headmaster. He used to put a cane up his... Sl- you guys were... were free. How, many, how many remember your teacher physically eating you? How many remember that? Do you remember? Yeah, that was... You know, we had it rough. Is that right? We, we had it tough, man. And this headmaster would put a cane... He used to put it under his sleeve. And if you walked past him and he wasn't in a particularly good mood, he'd whack that cane out and just whack you on the hand. I always remember he did it. That's the way he was. It, he was very small, and, and, and we were quite, quite cruel to him behind his back. We called him Jimmy Clitheroe. Anybody remember Jimmy Clitheroe? And he was, he was completely crazy, this headmaster was. And almost the worst feeling was to go to headmaster's office. I don't remember that. Sid remembers it. probably had a lot, wouldn't you? <laughs> Send to headmaster's office. And you're sitting there hoping that he's, he's ill or something happens. You don't want to go into headmaster's office. In a kind of strange way, I think a lot of us are like that with God. We feel that sometimes when we come to God, we're coming before the headmaster. And he's about to deal with us and judge us. And, and we've got this perception because we've never really seen how much God truly respects and honors you. See yourself as God sees you. People really who cannot love and approve of themselves, often live in tremendous pain. An orphan heart comes out of a sense of lack of acceptance. We look for approval for others as the base of our self-worth and achievements rather than being who God created us to be. How many felt, I'm mean, glad this one, God has not created you for rejection, he's created you for acceptance. And an orphan spirit often dislikes itself. An orphan heart dislikes itself. Deep down, they really don't like who they are. And that's a problem, because when you think about it, you've got to live with you a long time. <laughs> Isn't that right? You've got to be with you 24-7. And if you don't like you very much, then you're not going to be very happy. So if you don't really like yourself or accept yourself, then you're always going to be miserable. You're never going to be truly happy, because you've got to live with you a long time. You know, we often forget that, that Jesus, this is the command he gets. He says, you love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind, right? You love your neighbor as what? You love yourself. If you never love yourself or accept yourself, you're never likely to love anybody else. Until you really love yourself, not I'm not talking about in a, in a selfish way, but you accept the way God has made you, the way God has created you, and out of that love you have for yourself, you're able to love others. Can you say amen? And that is so important that we, we kind of grasp that. You don't really know who your father is. You never li- really live, as Marissa often, with a, you don't really know who you are. That's a big thing today. And I think unless we have a true revelation of the father heart of God, we never have a sense of identity. We never really know who we are. The only way you know who you are is when you see yourself as God sees you. Can you say amen? It brings identity. And out of identity, you find you have authority, relationship and inheritance. Identity always comes from Father. And I think a lot of people struggle with identity because deep down, They don't know the Father heart of God. And because they don't know the Father heart of God, and they don't really know who God is, because they don't really know who God is, then they tend to not, they tend not really to know who they really are. And I think it's so important that, that by knowing who we are, 
It helps us to know our identity. And out of our identity helps us see our inheritance. Amen. Jesus lived his life with unlimited resources. Is that right? And so that's the way God wants us to live. The issue is, it's not that we don't have resources. The issue is, is whether we access the resources. And I think a lot of us live way beyond the resources that Jesus died to bring us. Simply because we don't know how to access the resources that God has made available to us. And we don't access that because we lack identity of who we are. And when I know the Father, I know who I am. And I know what the Father's made available to me. Can you say amen? So I don't live with a powerless Christianity because I know who I am. And out of that, I know my inheritance. I know what's been available to me. And when I know what's available to me, I'm able to access what's there. Amen? All comes out of that. And finally, let me bring this one. So much more I could say, but let me just say this very quickly. I think relationship comes from a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit wants to inspire you to come before God and call him Papa. I think one of the things the Holy Spirit wants to do, he wants to convince you, he wants to unfold to you the truth of God being Abba. He wants to release in you the Abba cry. He wants to, to reveal to you the truth about Abba God. Can you say amen? Philip said, show us the Father and that will be Sufficient for us. I found this. That when the Spirit reveals the Father, it settles something deep in our spirits. Something deep in our heart. It gives us an anchor for our soul. It creates stability. Rather than continually being up and down. He loves me not, he loves me. He loves me not, he loves me not. Because we know who our Heavenly Father is. And you need to say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me the truth about Abba God. Pursue it. Pray it. Ask the Holy Spirit to unfold it to you. The Bible says the Spirit comes to guide you into all truth. And one of the truths he wants to reveal to you is the truth about Abba. He wants to lead you into that truth. He wants to guide you into that truth. You'll never just understand it, kind of comprehend it mentally, the Spirit needs to reveal it to the very core of your being of who the Father really is to you. And so the greater relationship you have with the Holy Spirit, the more the Holy Spirit will release the God cry in you and reveal Abba Father to you. Let me close with this. So I was going to say a lot more about this, this one, but I'll quickly go on to this one. Remember a few, I think a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the prodigal son, remember that? But we looked at the elder brother last time. I was thinking very much about the actual prodigal son himself. Have you ever thought about that? As we know, the father gives him this inheritance. Millions and millions of pounds inheritance. And he blows it all. We know he blows and everything. But then he says something in his head. He thinks, here I am, I'm eating pig's food. 
Now, some people think McDonald's is pig's food, but, but, you know, you look at pig's food and how many would say that's not particularly enjoyable? They think to himself, you know what? The servants in my father's house are better off than me. You know, they eat, at least they eat. At least they've got somewhere to sleep. I haven't even got any of that. So he thinks what he's going to do, he's going to do a deal with the father. Here's the deal he's going to do. I'm going to go to father and I'm going to say, father, I've sinned, I've messed up, I fell, and I realize that. But let's do a deal. I'll work, I'll, I'll be your servant. I'll work to you. I, won't, I don't want, to, I don't want any, anything as sonship. I don't want any, any inheritance. All I want is just to be a servant, basically. Let me just be a servant. That's all I'll do. If you do that, then that'll be good. I'll make a deal with you. And I love this part because when he comes to Father with all that in his head and all in his mind, this deal he's going to do, the Father, when he sees him returning, repenting, running to, going back to home, The father embraces him and loves him. And here's the point. He doesn't do the deal with him. (laughs) He doesn't say, okay, then you be the servant now. You messed up, you failed, but I'll tell you what, now you can be the servant. You just work for me for a servant's wage. You live in the servant's quarters. He doesn't say that. He says, come back home. Come back, live in my house. I'm going to put a robe on you. In other words, I'm going to restore you back to the position you were before. Position is restored. I'm going to put a ring on you. You know what a ring was? It was that which you used to actually seal deals. He's actually saying to him, even though you've blown all my money, you can still sign the checks. I'm restoring you back completely and totally. Let's forget about this deal. You've returned back to me. Let's put you back to where you were. Position, authority. Let's put you right back to that place you were before. Isn't that wonderful? Now, Notice this as he closes. He says this. He says, he says, let's have a celebration. Let's have this amazing, amazing party. Because my son was lost, but now he's found. Let's celebrate that. Let's enjoy that. And the Bible says they all celebrated it together. Here's my point. There's something about realizing that God celebrates you that causes you to have a heart of celebration. Why is often that many Christians are just so plain miserable? Think about it. Just miserable. Is that for Laurie? <laughs> I'll ask you on Monday whether you're still over. <laughs> but the point is, often that, that sense of misery really comes because in our hearts we've never seen he's the glad God. When I understand he's the glad God, it makes me glad. Isn't that right? And I've seen more and more, he's a glad God. He's the God who rejoices. He's the God who celebrates. And when I realize how glad he is, something in me is glad. I'm glad I belong to a glad God. (laughs) That rhymes. I'm glad I belong to a God who doesn't change in moods. He's not moody. He's always in a good mood. Every moment, every second, all the time he's good. And when I understand that about God, that even though I fail, even though I mess up, he's still there with a heart of celebration and gladness. He puts a gladness in me. Amen. So I've seen a trivial revelation of who the Father truly is. Let's stand right now. Let's just come before him in these moments.
I know time has gone, but right now in your own heart, say, Father, right now, please give to me a revelation of your Father heart. Unveil yourself to my heart today. Help me to see that you're right there. You're glad. You're rejoicing. You're happy. And you're happy every time I run to you. Father, show me who you are. Ask the Father to break down all the lies, all the distortions that the enemy has placed in your mind about who God is and about how much he loves you. Jesus rightly called Satan the father of all lies. But the father is the father of truth. And the spirit was released to guide us into all truth to break the lies and the distortions that would attack, our, that would attack us. Say today, Father, give me a heart for you. Help me to see who you truly are. Break down all the wrong perceptions. Heal my orphan heart today. Maybe you feel that in your own heart. There's hurt and pain, lack of trust, insecurity. Say, Father, fill my heart with your love today. Fill me with your heart. Fill me with your love. Help me to see myself as your precious child today. I'm your... I'm the disciple whom you love. Help me to see myself that way today. Holy Spirit, reveal to me the Father. Give me the Abba cry. The cries out, Abba, Daddy, Father. Pour it in my heart today. Father, we come to you today and would you break down all the distortions, all the lies that the enemy would sow into our hearts. Lord, would you break that orphan heart over us that we would see ourselves as truly sons and daughters of the Father, heart of God. Lord, I pray today, Holy Spirit, come and reveal that to every heart here this morning, that we would cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father, and we would feel secure, we would feel loved, we would know our position, we would live in our inheritance, we would live out of who we truly are before you. And we would live with a constant sense of rejoicing and celebration, knowing that we are your child. Knowing that you have not rejected us, but you you have accepted us in the beloved through the cross and through the blood of Jesus. And so, Father, today we don't run from you, we run to you. We run into your arms today and receive your embrace. We we sense your love and your, your affirming words into our hearts today. Lord, may you transform us. May you change us. May you enable us to be all that we were called to be. Even before the foundation of time, you chose us in the beloved. You predestined us that we would be your children. And so, Lord, today we want to rejoice. We want to thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for the relationship we have with you. Lord, pour into our hearts, Lord, our real- the reality of who we are in you. We will give you all the praise and all the glory. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.